Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I'm joined by Rich Rebar, or Lord Reeves, as you might know him, from rotoworld.com to talk about the 2019 NFL draft class. Uh, we talked about the quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends in the 2019 NFL draft, projected them out for fantasy football and for real football, talked about some of our favorites, some guys that we are likely going to be fading in rookie drafts, and just sort of overall previewed the class. Of course, if you want to support the show, you can leave a rating and review on iTunes. You can that's uh, that's always appreciated. You can subscribe to the show on Patreon for five dollars a month. You get bonus episodes of the show. That's Patreon.com/slash/TakeCast. Of course, we are presented by DailyRoto.com, the best projections and tools in the industry. You can get ten percent off of the Daily Roto Elite package using the promo code. Rory, R-O-R-Y. And we are also presented by RotoExperts.com with the NFL 365 package that is headed by yours truly. You can get 10% off of the $39.99 package using the promo code MATIC. Now let's get into the show. All right, everyone. Welcoming Rich Rebar, Lord Reeves, back to the show. We've had him on two times already. Once we talked about some football once we just talked Simpsons, but now we're talking about something very near and dear to both Rich and I's heart and what I think really both got us interested in doing fantasy football content, which is figuring out which college prospects are going to be good in the NFL. This is the Take Cast NFL draft show, but we're not going to be talking about uh, edge players and Ed Oliver and the cornerbacks. This is just the offensive prospect show. Rich, are, are you hyped? Yeah, man, this is like a throwback to this is a little I feel a little bit nostalgic, you know, you and I talking rookies, you know, pour one out for Coleman. But this is a Wonderkin throwback type of podcast. This is how I got started podcasting was just riffing with you about college players. This is really all my initial podcasting was done under that umbrella. You know, I've kind of scaled back how much work I put into rookie classes the past couple of years. I was kind of like you, I was doing those rookie profiles and, you know, adding gifts into my, you know, columns and doing some more film stuff. And I just kind of found out like for the, the investment, the time investment, I wasn't getting the same edge I was prior when we were doing, you know, kind of things under the umbrella of more analytical, not, you know, having, you know, visions of grandeur, you know, ingrained in our heads by specific plays mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I've kind of scaled back the past couple of years uh, in that ilk. And, you know, I don't do as much prospect in-depth data stuff that, uh, you know, I used to put out at the fake football uh, over at Rotor World now. Um, so, and I feel like I've been a lot more better drafting in my dynasty leagues and a lot more better and a lot more accurate at covering these rookies. So, I mean, this year I kind of treat it the same way. And it was a good class not to invest a lot of uh, TV watching because that's what film grinders are. They just watch a lot of TV. You know, they don't want to admit it. Or we're just watching different shows instead of Game of Thrones and, you know, whatever's on and it's popular. They're just watching dudes run around and, uh, on the football field. Yeah, they're just watching offensive guards hand technique, which is like, what I mean, somebody's got to do it. It's not going to be me, but somebody's got to do it. I watch all the prospects 
Um, not to like make any judgments, but just to like get it. I like to just have a, a mental image in my head of how the dudes play. Yeah. And I play college fantasy. Um, you know, I'm sure you play college DFS. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I know uh, offhand, you know, what I'm getting out of some of these players just through the the vines of playing college fantasy and, you know, being tied to uh, the production that these guys are putting out on Saturdays. Which is like, I mean, at the end of the day, leopards don't change their spots. Like how many times have we seen the, the this is one thing I really hate. And honestly, I wish Alvin Kamara did not exist because now every running back who wasn't good in college, but people like on film, oh, that dude's the next Alvin Kamara, bro. You can't say you can't say that this unproductive running back can't be a prospect because of Alvin Kamara, bro. Yeah, the the prototypical archetypes. Uh, I love the 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 subjective comps. You know, that used to be just if you were a white slot guy, you were Wes Welker. But now, if you're a productive running back that's slow, you're now Kareem Hunt. You know, uh, you know, kind of get that everywhere thrown around. Uh, if you're an undersized back that doesn't really have an athletic profile, you're Devontae Freeman now. Uh, you just kind of get these, you know, just lumped in with these types of players. And uh, you're, if you're if you're really fast and you didn't catch any passes and you're small, you're Jamal Charles. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, remember Ronald Jones was Jamal Charles. Ronald right? Jones was Jamal Charles. I I heard that. I heard that a couple times. <laughs> that existed. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a reason that you know, fantasy douche. When we used to spend time at Rotoviz, used to talk about you know uh, objective player comps over subjective player comps a lot, and subjective player comps exist because your mind just initially goes to those that outlier region, those guys that stick out. Right. Why it sticks out uh, as a hit. But then when you look under the hood and you're like, ooh, the percentages of this guy, you know, actually being Devontae Freeman over again, chasing the next Devontae Freeman. Uh, yeah, it turns out actually all these guys are, are Ruben drones. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's start with the quarterbacks. Why do you think that uh, NFL teams aren't in on Haskins? All, all the chatter the last two weeks has been uh, – you know, it's Daniel Jones season. It's Drew Locke season. There, there's talk of Haskins not even going in the first round, which I don't buy at all. He'll go in the first round. Yeah, I mean, it's we're kind of in that, you know, that that time period of, you know, believe everything and believe nothing. Uh, we're also in like a weird QB year where I think like, like not a team, not a lot of teams uh, picking at the top, like are have like a true need, obviously the Cardinals. I mean, the Cardinals are going to take back to back top 10 quarterbacks probably. Uh, it's just kind of one of those weird years. Cause I do believe that, you know, Gettleman is as arrogant in believing that he could put a team around Eli Manning. I actually believe that he's that arrogant. Uh, so it's just kind of one of those things. And then at the combine, you know, Haskins kind of showed up kind of out of shape a little bit. You know, I think that turned some teams off a little bit. Um, he, he ran like that 140 and like left with cramps, you know, after he like really teams were kind of down on him preparing a little bit, I think as well. And, uh, you know, we don't get to see the interview process or see any of that stuff, but maybe, he, maybe he bricks some stuff in that. Too. I bet, I bet Daniel Jones interviews so well. I bet, <laughs> yeah, I bet, I, mean, I bet Daniel Jones's interviews are like, you couldn't even believe how poised that guy's interviews are. <laughs> Yeah, answering those weird questions, you know, of uh, what's your favorite brunch item or something. I don't know. Uh, whatever they, whatever questions they ask. Uh, I bet they don't even ask Daniel Jones that weird of questions. I bet they're like, oh, this dude coached with – he's like in the coaching tree that we all know. Like he's got a, a decent arm, whatever. We're ready to take this guy first round. I, yeah, Daniel I'm, Jones is like the worst first-round quarterback since Blaine Gabbert. If he does get picked, he's he's gonna be like arguably the worst first round quarterback ever. I think objectively, there's a, a case to be made. But, I mean, Haskins just turned he turns 22 years old 
uh, in three weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a season at age 21. I mean, you just can't ignore dudes that have like that kind of production at age 21 being young. I think he'll be, he'll be fine. The one thing he's, he doesn't really have, you know, compared to especially a guy like Tyler is the mobility, uh, no matter what Stephen A. Smith seems to believe. Uh, but yeah, you just don't get that rushing factor. Whereas now, you know, we're getting quarterbacks are more athletic than ever now. And it's, finally happened i mean kyler murray like this is the, the first time ever a dude like him was would ever be a considered the qb1 or gonna go 101 overall uh we're in a special time in the nfl where you know that, that type of athleticism at quarterback is valued over you know the traditional this guy fits this mold uh the john elway mold of what he you know is trying to acquire for his team so i mean i, I think haskins is a little more you know statuesque that hurts him compared to a guy like kyler but i think that there's he definitely objectively shows the round one qb in my model, uh, and, you know, definitely when you get him out of that Urban Meyer system, too, I think you'll see where, um, you know, he was kind of aided by that short passing game and, you know, kind of the, the jet sweep, you know, forward pitch that counts as a pass that in fantasy they never count in full PPR leagues until after the fact and you get agitated by. But I think when he gets to throw the ball downfield a little more, too, you'll see, you know, he'll lose a little bit of efficiency, but, you know, he's got some – he can make all those throws, too. Kyler would have been like a wide receiver prospect like five years ago. <laughs> Yeah, we we didn't have to entertain it this year. We did it last year. Remember Lamar? There was still yeah, Lamar. There were there were people who said he's a wide receiver. Yeah, but yeah, we didn't have to live that life this year of you know some team's gonna try out Kyler Murray at safety, you know, in the combine. Like, get out of here! Like, we didn't have to live any of that life this year. Some some team some team tried out uh, Trace McSorley at safety. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. get him sorely. He's the new Scott Frost. <laughs> yeah, the new the, the, that's the new trend. White quarterbacks are going to become like defensive players. That's going to be the new move. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I uh, I kind of think I kind of think that the Giants are going to take Daniel Jones. At first, I didn't believe it, but now I do kind of believe it because I I think there's like a connection between Daniel Jones and the Manning family through Sutcliffe, the coach. So I think that. Jones, they will have like prepared Jones to come in and sit for a year while Eli is a dumpster fire out there. I, I think that is now I'm upgrading that to the most likely scenario. Man, I would, I think that we would love to see it just as, you know, the, the Gettleman bandwagon, uh, you know, would come to just tear him down. It would be just another, you know, feather in the cap of, of everyone tearing big blue, blue bubble boy down. Uh, objectively, I don't, I don't watch a lot of quarterbacks uh, subjectively or objectively in my model. Daniel Jones comes out as the QB 11. I mean, his 6.2 career adjusted yards per attempt are ahead of only Clayton Thorson in this class. Uh, that's it. He's the only dude he's ahead of. Uh, so, I mean, if you're going to take a chance on a guy like that, uh, you know, be my guest at pick six or 17. I mean, it just feels like a very Gettleman thing to do to just be like, take that for the data and just take the quarterback that has no chance of ever becoming uh, an all pro in the way that the NFL is going now. Is Daniel Jones better than Kyle Luetta? I mean, who could say? Maybe I don't. I guess so. I didn't really do prospecting work the last two years, but I'm getting really heavy into it this year. So I'm kind of like coming at it from a weird perspective, where everyone else has got super into looking at prospects the last two years. Where I was like, that's kind of old news for me, and now I'm getting back into it. So I don't have a great sense of like how the last two years of prospects looked in terms of the data. Yeah, I mean, he's objectively better. I mean, it's just one of those things that I just don't know how we got to this point. You know, 
uh, of Daniel Jones jumping all these guys, the Will Greer tier, you know, like how come Will Greer's not getting any, any like love outside of the, you know, the, the small feet of the draft community I've seen come around on him, but he's not getting any type of significant, you know, actual draft buzz in the midst of this quarterback class. I mean, he's, he's objectively better than Drew Locke to me too. Greer, Greer is my QB three. I, if a team took him in the first round, I, I guess I wouldn't take him in the first round if I was drafting for an NFL team, but I see why a team – like if New England took him at 32, I'd be like, yeah, I get it. I get why they're doing that. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a little bit older. He's already he, – he turned 24 last month. Uh, so you're getting a 24-year-old rookie. Which well, he had to sit out a year for PEDs. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I want my guys to do PEDs, by the way, too. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, I want my guys doing that. So, I mean, over nine yards per attempt in his past two years as the full-time starter. The only thing, like I said, age is really the only thing knocking him, but he just doesn't seem to be getting, you know, that any type of buzz uh, from the draft community, like actual people plugged into the draft. Whereas Daniel Jones, people outside of the draft community that aren't plugged in are just, like, scratching their heads. Like, how, how the hell is this happening right now? I mean, I'm telling you, it all it all comes down to the coach. And, and – um. NFL teams are like not ready to buy into air raid skill position players. Like they're not, they're not, they're just, they're not ready to be like, Oh, air raid quarterbacks, air raid wide receivers, air raid running backs. They're not ready to evaluate those guys the same way that they do the shotgun teams. Like that's why like big 12 players, um, a lot of the times they, they go sort of like, un, like these guys who put up crazy stats in the big 12, they get drafted super late just because like teams are like, Oh, you know, we don't trust that style of football, but that's kind of how the NFL is starting to play now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all a speed and space game. And like I said, when you add a quarterback to the mix, that's athletic with that, you know, opening, opening holes, you get man coverage, uh, the defense can turn their back. You're, you're getting free yardage, you know, from your quarterback. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I think that's definitely where the NFL is headed. Um, but yeah, it would be nice to see some of those guys get a little more love like a Will Greer. I think even too, he's a little harder to project because you know he was a smaller school but like Easton Stick really pops too uh on my end objectively he's another guy a little bit older he's not gonna have the draft capital of even a Will Greer have but I mean uh 9.8 yards per attempt last year second behind only Kyler Murray of this group of guys he also rushed for 46 yards per game so you know you're getting that that combo type of quarterback that has that that athleticism uh he ran well at the combine as well uh, he's a guy like I'm kind of curious to see where, where he goes. Obviously, we know quarterbacks uh, that don't go uh, that don't go in the first round have pretty low hit rates. You know, it's not someone to pursue in your dynasty leagues. But I took him at the end of our super flex league at like pick whatever it was four four ten round four ten. I just took a shot to see where he goes in the draft. Yeah, I want I want uh, I want Tyree Jackson to go to the Dolphins. That's like, that's my move. I want him to go to the Dolphins this year and I want them to just run like the single wing or the triple option or whatever. And, and, and just like all play action deep balls, like the Georgia tech offense, just cause it doesn't matter. They're going to be horrible anyways. Yeah. I mean, I think that what we saw from the bills last year is what you want and how you can actually from our end create like big fantasy days too. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, listen, uh, all around Josh Allen was a bad passer last year. He did what he did in college in the NFL. As a, as a passer and you know for fantasy he was great I mean you look at the what he did when he came back from injury the back half of the season he was the QB1 you know the final seven weeks of the season and was turning in monster games those big 30 point fantasy games which is what we care about and while he was that bad of a passer I'm all for those guys being good because I'm all for the overlap not for the pure overlap of fantasy of it being real football to 
uh, you know, real football carrying over to fantasy football and the Konami code and quarterback rushing the weight those points get uh, in fantasy football is kind of like a breaking of that mold. You know, like my father-in-law is never going to draft one of those guys. He thinks he's a bad quarterback. Right. You know, he's never going to yeah. draft in his league. But it's a, it's a, but those guys have legitimately safe floors and high ceilings. I mean, and like those guys can win real football games too. Do like it? It's not. It's not. They're not going to win you games. How like Patrick Mahomes or Drew Brees right. wins you games, but they can still do it by like max, like not on like a per play basis, but on like a per possession basis. They're going to lose a lot of yards on some plays, but they can also like make thirty yard gains happen pretty easily. Yeah, I mean QB rushing is one of the most valuable commodities that's you know kind of still untapped and it's starting to slowly transition. Is just human beings are more athletic too, plays into quarterbacks being more athletic. Uh, you know, just just humans in, in general, just more athletic. And athletes are just like crazy now. Uh, you know, I went and took my son to a high school basketball game that uh, for my alma mater that I went to high school with, and like every kid was like six five six six like three percent body fat and when I was in high school our tallest kid was six two we would see like four dunks a year like there were so many dunks in the game like my son was like bored by it he was like that's like whatever like right like like we were when kids were dunking at you know 17 it was a big deal uh you know where I was at school and now it's just like crazy they're like one of the the best uh schools in Ohio and you know have kids they have one of the the top uh point guard prospects uh it's like she's going to – he's actually going to a smaller school. He's going to Miami. But, uh, you know, it's just crazy. It's just people in general are different, you know, now. <laughs> and we're seeing it transition off into the quarterback, which used to be a traditional this guy's not an athlete position in the NFL. Right. Yeah, that was the you, this guy sits still position. <laughs> That's are you, Brady. Uh, do you think that Kyler can become, like, Cam Russ level of fantasy where, like, QB1 is, like, in his range of outcomes for the course of a season? Yeah, absolutely. I think QB1 is definitely his range of outcomes because you're getting both sides of it. He's like a historic passer. I mean, dude, you'd average over 11 yards. He had, he, had the, <laughs> he had the best ever He had the best ever season in college football in terms of adjusted yards per attempt. No one's ever been better. Yeah, so you're getting the passing, and then you're plus you're getting the athleticism and the rushing on top. And you're getting a marriage now where I think well, we assume that he's going to go with Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals. So now you're getting all these things lined up in a row to kind of make it – you make the ceiling pretty gigantic for him. You know, if he was just the guy that's going to go to traditional offense or go to some place like where Josh Allen with the Buffalo last year, I mean, we'd have reservations. So if he's going to go to an open system, an open air raid system that can could drop back, he can, he can drop back 600 times and beat you in both areas. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's how you get that gigantic ceiling. And I mean, you've seen it last year. I mean, uh, quarterbacks last year in fantasy football combined for their most rushing points in NFL history, uh, most rushing yards in NFL history. Um, and so you're going to get that dual usage because the dual usage guys, when you think about recently, we got Deshaun Watson is kind of a dual usage guys. Russ, Russ is kind of one of those guys that because rushing is starting to go all over the place now. You're not right. getting the consistent rushing from Russ, which kind of drives you crazy because last year he hardly ran at all. But Deshaun Watson's probably the best example of the dual threat guy now. I mean, he was the QB four in points per game last year. He was the QB one in points per game, obviously, the year he had the insane touchdown rate. But you look at both years, he's averaged over five rushing points per game in each of those seasons. That's how you turn a guy that's getting 16 to 17 passing points per game into an overall QB one because now he's getting the 22, 24-point games I mean, even Mahomes last year, he had that epic passing season, but even he added 40 rushing points mm-hmm. on his total. 
Schultz last year. That's how you get these gigantic seasons out of players. I mean, Kyler's going to be one of those guys that's going to inherently come with a safe floor because of the rushing, and you factor in his passing ability and the system he's going into. I mean, he could really hit the ground running. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up as an overall QB1 as a rookie if he plays all 16 games. He might not be that as like a week-to-week guy you want to play, but I think overall point-wise, he could easily be a QB1. It's going to be a huge bummer the first time he gets tackled by someone who weighs 315 pounds. I'm going to be holding my breath. Like I, I kind of like that, uh, that, that first couple drives that Alabama game you kind of saw it and you're like, Oh, whoa. Like, is this yeah. just like, is, are they, are they just overwhelmed? Like they're just all too small, not fast enough to play with this team. And they kind of just weathered the storm and started playing his game. And he, that's, I think that's what broke it for everyone. I was like, yeah, this dude is just is silly, but yeah, size wise, uh, uh, we don't want to see uh, you know one of those big D-, D tackles falling on him. I think he could maybe end up being better than Baker. I think I think like that's not like out of the range of outcomes just because he adds that athleticism that Baker doesn't quite have. Like Baker is athletic, but Baker is not that fast, and he's younger. Yeah, where Baker had to you know he had Baker had to sit out a year and kind of wait a little bit. Uh, Kyler know. had to sit out a year too, and he's still younger. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Oklahoma. Oklahoma now is just the home of wayward quarterbacks. They have Jalen Hurts is going to be their quarterback next year after he got benched. Like Lincoln Riley just takes everyone else's, uh, you know, quarterback who they're not quite sure if they're the best and makes them Heisman Trophy winners. All right, we gotta we gotta talk about these. We gotta talk about these running backs. We gotta just figure out. Do you think any of these guys are like first round dynasty picks three years from now? Can you see, can you see any of these guys landing in a situation and being like talented and athletic enough to be like legit RB ones? Uh, I don't think so. If you're looking that far down, I think that you might have this class. So this class really reminds me of the 2014 class a lot or you kind of, we had to kind of squint to see a lot of these things with guys. And that class had guys that had individual seasons pop, you know, Jeremy Hill, Carlos Hyde, uh, Devontae Freeman, uh, James White. They've had seasons that pops, but none of those guys are like guys you would look at in a dynasty league now that were removed a few years and say like, those are guys you root that, that popped and hit and you want to invest in. That was also the Bishop, Bishop Sankey, Terrence West year. Like he even hit, Terrence West even had a year. Uh, where he, he did. Was- <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this class really reminds me of that where we know some of these guys are going to just fall into spots where they get initial opportunity. Uh, and that could be enough to, you know, bleed out some useful fantasy seasons from these guys. I think there'll be some useful fantasy seasons from these guys. But, uh, yeah, I don't think there's a true guy that we would look to down the road and say that one of these guys is, is going to be a stalwart fantasy option, you know, come three, four years down the road. We were just kind of spoiled, you know, from premium prospects stance to running backs, you know, the, you know, the past few years. Ever since that 2014 class, we've had kind of a, at least two or three guys at the top of every class that were – like big-time RB1 type guys that we knew were going to go in the top half of the first round, whether we thought they deserved to or not. We knew that NFL team was going to invest in them there, and they had those production and athletic profiles. We don't have that this year. I mean, Josh Jacobs is going to go to the uh, team in the first round. Some some idiot team is going to take him in the first round. Yeah, it's it's going to happen. Um, probably pretty for sure. Pretty for sure. I mean, the last running back that was taken in the first round that never had any thousand yard season in college was John Avery in 1998. Uh, 
at least we could say that uh, at least Josh Jacobs has a bigger, bigger uh, athletic profile, or at least size-wise, not athletic profile, because he kind of bricked his pro day uh, in, a, in an extreme sense too. But John Avery was 5'9", 188. So think about that. That was the NFL draft process at that time. Someone took a 5'9", 188-pound running back that never had 1,000 yards in college in the first round in the NFL. Uh, things haven't really gotten that much better in terms of the process, uh, but at least Josh Jacobs, you could you can at least sell someone that he's at least uh, big enough to play running back and get carries. As, as I just to don't – what what are these people talking about when they say that Josh Jacobs was efficient at Alabama? Isn't every Alabama player efficient? Yeah, I mean, he has, like, one of these, like, bizarre, like, just data buckets where you look at last year, 41% of his carries resulted in a first down or touchdown – that was the highest in the class, uh, not the highest in the class, the highest in the country. Um, and then he had like he averaged ten point four yards per target as in college too, which is which is bonkers. But then he never played more than Damian Harris. He never got more carries that, per game than Damian Harris. And they really threw the ball more to Damian Harris. So it's just really kind of weird. I did a study for Rotoviz. This was years back when the Christy Michael thing was hot. Um, that you know committee backs in college tend to stay committee backs in the NFL. Uh, so, I mean, he's got to kind of get kind of work past it, even though people see the dual usage in his game. I see a lot of people say that there's like you're a bonehead if you don't have him as your RB1. And I get that if you're factoring draft capital and him being the only RB that was invited to the the uh, actual NFL draft. Um, but I mean, in three or four years, like if this, this guy's like, like not really, like we said, not hitting, I mean, are you really going to be that surprised? Like, it really wouldn't surprise me if he got drafted. First round, let's say let's say he goes to the Raiders and they give him 210 carries, 45 targets. He averages 3.9 yards per touch, but scores like 11 touchdowns because that's what like Gruden would want to do. And then the next year they have like a fifth round rookie running back who is just like a little bit more athletic and get earns like 110 touches or whatever. And then all of a sudden three years from now, like he gets, he's like a camp cut and he is like the pay, like he's the new Jeremy Hill or whatever. That story is not surprising to me for Josh Jacobs. Cause he's not a special player. Dude, what first round running back? runs a four six on their pro day like this is, is, is that's the thing people people quote that people quote that time like that was just like his time or whatever no bro that's a pro day time he probably ran a four seven yeah i mean uh you know i know uh fantasy mansion matt kelly who you had on your show uh before me you know he's done uh work with pro day stuff and how you how to you know accurately ding pro day you know times and all the all the um all the different, you know, uh, measurables. Uh, so, I mean, for a guy to run a 4.6, like you said, it, it's, it's, that's objectively worse than a 4.6 that would be run in Indianapolis, uh, for sure. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, you look at this class, too, and it's kind of a weird class because we got kind of a lot of, you know, archetypes scattered around. I mean, some of the better-looking objective backs are just guys that, you know, project to kind of be more of a pass catcher role. The bigger body guys um, that don't catch passes. There's a there's a lot of guys in this class who I think are going to be like really good 180 carry guys who are good for their NFL teams, but are just they're going to be total Legarrette blunts for fantasy. Like you're just you're not going to want to have them on your team at all. Yeah, I mean it's going to be interesting. So I think like if you're picking in dynasty drafts. You know, you want to focus on with this class being kind of a jumbled mess of, you know, kind of just taking guys that have 
the potential of being a three down, you know, archetype back in their range of outcomes. Obviously we don't have a lot of these guys to prop up in terms of draft capital, but you know, when you look later on in the draft, you know, like a guy like Rodney Anderson or, you know, you know, Miles Sanders at the, in the back half of the first round, you know, David Montgomery, his doesn't have the athletic profile, but you know, he's got the size and the production and the receiving, you know, the background where he can get a lot of touches for like two or three years and then kind of be gone. Uh, those are kind of the guys you're looking at, you know, because then outside of those guys, I mean, you're into the, the Alex Barnes of the world that show up athletically and as bangers that don't have, you know, the receiving pedigree. I think Ryan Paul Armstead is a guy that looks really interesting, doesn't have a receiving pedigree, che- checks a lot of objective boxes, though. Uh, and then you get like the guys that people still want to hang on to and hold the flame for like Benny Snell, who probably don't really have much of a shot at all. Um, yeah, I, I had Benny Snell like top five before the combine. And I think now I have him ninth or 10th, but like, I don't even really believe in that. I just think he'll kind of, he'll, I just think he'll kind of get drafted yeah. that high. He'll still get, I still, yeah, he probably will. Like, I think when you look at where the top 10 running backs fall, he probably will in terms of draft capital be one of those guys. Um, just from the things that we know teams value and the things that they don't value currently, you know, in the NFL, it's why we see Riley Ridley keep popping up as a top, you know, six to seven wide receiver, uh, you know, people that are plugged into the system. Who's your, who is your top running back? Who do you have? Number one. Uh, I have my, my top running back is Darrell Henderson. Yeah. Same. Um, he, he's my number one. He, you know, the only thing I think that can get Darrell Henderson's way is that he just gets stuck and you would think that this wouldn't happen in the NFL draft because you're selecting a player, but it happens way more than you think, um, is a coach that just doesn't, you know, pigeonhole him into being one of those purgatory backs because he's, twe- he's got a tweener profile. You know, yeah. he's 5'8", five, he's five, 208, and when those guys come into the league, the, you know, they can get, you know, get into that Am- Amir Abdullah corollary. You know, their guys don't get they, – they get 10 to 12 touches per game, but they don't get any of the goal line touches, and they don't get used in the receiving game like they should. Uh, you know, and then, and then that in turn turns into being a useless fantasy player. Uh, so we kind of hope that he doesn't get stuck into, you know, one of those like kind of archaic systems, like, you know, like a, like a guy like Abdullah did. Or well, just where he goes, where there's three other running backs who can play. Right. Yeah, that, yeah. That he can share some of those roles with, um, cause he could be one of those types. And, you know, I think like Miles Sanders, um, I'm into him just cause you say three, three down potential and catch the ball. He, we don't have the yeah. production profile, but he also was behind yeah what are you supposed to do he was behind Saquon Barkley so like we're not he he wasn't going to be a guy that was going to pop from a breakout age uh you know point of view but uh he did enough last year he looks a lot like the Melvin Gordon you know Marla Mack you know type of objective you know type of runner uh and profiles you know coming into the league um so I mean I'm looking I'm looking at those two guys if I'm drafting um you know and looking to get those guys those guys cheaper than a guy like Josh Jacobs yeah, I, I don't think – I think that Josh Jacobs has a very good chance of being like the Leonard Fournette 1.01, where it's just like there's no way that ends up working out. Maybe you get one sick year where he gets 300 touches, but over the long run that's probably going to bum you out. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just tough to place an objective bet on him. I mean, at least from like where our background is, and I would think most people that listen to this show have followed you long enough to where they know like what kind of background and – the type of stuff we were doing back when we were doing all those rookie shows uh, and the stuff we care about. It's just, it's just harder to hit a guy from that bucket. You know, I think if, if this class was better, I don't think he, we would see this happening. Maybe we would be uh, because you know, the, the, you know, the, the team team scout with your eyes really loves him. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's just, it's hard to say like a guy from that bucket of prospect is going to hit. Uh, just because like a guy like Alvin Kamara hit or like, you know, it's, it's really tough, tough to chase those rainbows. 
do you have do you have a favorite sleeper for for this class? Do you have like a guy going later that you actually like? I mean, I've been so guys I've been taking so far in drafts that are pre-draft so far. I mean, like I said, in the fourth round I've been taking Rykel Armstead. He kind of takes he kind of like I said checks some of the boxes. <laughs> he was sixth in this class in terms of rushing output compared to rushing opportunity. Uh, he was actually the RB nine in Hayden Winks's analytical running back big board two that got posted on Roto World, so he showed up really good in his model. Uh, Rodney Anderson, I think, like I said, just he probably he's got a, a wider range of outcomes because we know he's going to come in the league with less production and injury history. But there's but you're kind of getting that cooked into like his rookie cost. You're taking me at a point where rookie picks don't really hit anyways. So I mean, he's kind of one of those guys you just take a shot on the profile and say like if you could run into some seasons he's he's one of those guys too he actually got picked right before me in that one rookie draft where we in we're in and uh, I really wanted him at that spot um so I mean those are kind of the guys I'm looking at um in the middle and then I've been drafting a lot of uh um Justice Hill too he's kind of one of the guys that doesn't fit that no Justice Hill is gonna be he's gonna be the dude who ends up like getting like 80 catches a year for four years because he just he really like I know he didn't catch a ton of passes at Oklahoma State, but he, he caught he enough. He, he caught enough for me to think he can do it. Yeah, 31 receptions his sophomore season. Like, I think he can do it. Yeah, I mean, he's not a guy that you, doesn't have the three-down profile, but, you know, you're talking about getting him in, you know, the second round of rookie picks or the third round. You know, fast, explosive. Like you said, he at least has one season of receiving on his uh, resume. He also was a big-time high school uh, recruit you know, by, uh, yeah. by Mike Gundy. And um, he came in and started right away, started as a freshman over Chris Carson, uh, which is a big deal. Um, he was, I think he was, his freshman year, he had like 1,900 yards, or no, that was coming in. He had 1,900 yards uh, and 32 touchdowns coming in and then started as a freshman and had, what, 1,100 yards on 200 carries that year. Uh, so, I mean, he's a, he's one of those guys, like you said, you just – he doesn't have the profile to where you're going to get a 250 touch season out of him. But one of those guys that can be an effective fantasy player, you know, on 170 touches, you know, as long as they come cheaply, you don't have to pay for those. Yeah. Uh, you'll pay for that type of touches. All right. We got to talk wide receivers now, starting with, starting with the great riddle of the class, DK Metcalf. He, if DK Metcalf had been a prospect in 2014, when we were doing all of those great Rotoviz posts, he would have started a war bigger than the Corderell oh. Patterson war. It would have been every post on the website would have been a DK Metcalf argument one way or the other. Which side are you on? Um, I'm kind of in the, in the middle um, a little bit, not the hedge, but I just think that he's a guy that just has a wide range of outcomes, you know, um, doesn't have that production, you know, elite college production season. And he also is coming to the league off of two years where he had two season ending injuries. And, and you look at, too, and what I think the NFL is transitioning to, something we talked about, a speed, space game, more of these open systems. Uh, wide receiver versatility is, is more important now, I feel like, than ever. And he's a guy that was kind of just glued to want the left side of the field in an air raid offense. Um, 71% of his yards came on just two routes, the go and the hitch. But the interesting thing is that Josh Hermsmeyer did a study on NFL routes that were successful, and the hitch curl is the most successful route in the NFL. And the number of go routes also explains, uh, you know, roughly 85% of go route targets for a player. So, I mean, the two routes that he is good at and runs are good NFL routes and can get him, you know, one successful targets and targets that lead to fantasy points. So he's another one of those guys too, is one of those guys is like a big bully. He has like that Des Bryant, like, 
type of subjective archetype. Like put your hands on him, he's going to throw you around, but is not one of those guys that's going to, you know, house a lot of, you know, uh, you know, 10 yard outs and stuff like that. He's not going to take 60 yard house calls like that. He's going to beat you over the top or beat you by just mauling you uh, kind of like Des did. So he's got a wider range of outcomes, but I can see the ceiling outcome because of what he's successful is what is the NFL is successful at in throwing those two routes. So the issue that I have with him is that one, the agility is not very good. And I think that that, I think that like super matters for NFL teams now, like just being able to move and being able to go across the formation pre-snap, like a lot of NFL teams are going to require you to do that. Like people saying that he is equivalent to Julio Jones. No, like he, no, he's not that sort of player at all. He's like much more, he's like a, he's like a super fast Anquan Bolden. That's how, that's like kind of what I would equate his playing style to. And I don't know how valuable that guy is now yeah it's definitely waning in today's nfl i mean i think we've started to we've seen the wide receiver the great holy wars of wide receiver size shift as the game has shifted and even the people right like the the team big wide receiver i'll take the l on that now but i'm not wrong because it was wrong then i'm wrong because it's wrong now yeah we've acquiesced at the times listen we we know what wins and then we're talking and this class i feel like has a lot of those types of guys those those guys that in college showed that they they could succeed from multiple positions and from multiple types of routes. And that is going to, you know, kind of propel them in the NFL. Cause I, like we talked about more wide receivers around the field than ever before in the NFL and teams are using their wide receivers in different spots more than ever before. Um, I mean, you just look at, I think the big slot role in the NFL and has expanded. I won't eat as much clock as I did on the show. I did mansion last week on the big slot, but I mean, you see it like, you know, obviously Juju jumps out of people's mind, but the saints move Michael Thomas there the most in his career last year, Devonte Adams, AJ Green, DeAndre Hopkins, they set career highs in slot production last year. So it's, it's harder for defenses to combat this, too. It's harder for them to counterpunch this because we've got more wide receivers on the field than ever before. It's not like teams are just moving their wide receiver in two and three wide receiver sets inside. You know, we're getting four wide receiver sets on the field. Uh, you get your best player free releases uh, from a stance to counterpoint it. Since there's so many receivers on the field, it's harder for – defensive coaches because there's just more viable wide receivers than there are viable cornerbacks in the NFL, especially from a size, you know, athletic, you know, stance, you can't just put four wide receivers in the field and the team's going to roll their nickel and their, their dime corner and be able to move them outside just because you move Devonte Adams into the slot. They're still right. not going to put a five, 10, 195 pound guy on the boundaries because there's going to be, because it's not like you're just moving a, a, a typical, you know, Cole Beasley type to the boundary either. You're not. It's, we're starting to see more, more of these types of hybrid types of players be involved in an offense. So it's harder to combat. You have to have guys that can play the run and the pass from the linebacker point of view. I kind of like pulled this to guys like, you know, Bloom and some other people that watch more film and are clued into how to stop this. and was asking people, how, how do teams combat this? How do teams, you know, counter this? And all the answers I got were basically like, you have to have a guy, either an edge rusher that can rush the passer and coverage. Cool. Those guys are, are around. You can grab lots of those guys if you're building a team. Or you have to have linebackers or safeties that can play man-to-man coverage and come up and defend their own too. And it's like, all right, cool. There's lots of those guys too. Uh, but from a schematic sense, it's a lot harder for teams to combat this. And it's going to be a foreseeable edge, I believe, at least for this like period of the NFL as we get more speed and space involved in the game and, and, and size to take advantage of. Because when you look at the top 10 corners and slot snaps last year, the average guy was 5'10", 194 pounds. 
I mean, that, that guy can't win against DeAndre Hopkins. You know, he can't even win against guys that are less talented than DeAndre Hopkins that have the size. That's he why can't... he's a slot corner. Yeah, it's exactly, exactly the reason. So I think that this class, when you look at guys like A.J. Brown, Nikhil Harry, and um, Hakeem Butler, and Hakeem Butler was just bonkers from the slot last year. He was number one in, in yards per out run from the slot last year. He averaged 25 uh, yards per catch from the slot. Five of his nine touchdowns came against the slot. Iowa knew. I mean, it's, I mean, I hope that, you know, Matt, me and Matt Kelly are arguing because I like Butler and his ceiling. But he, he just thinks that uh, a team's going to throw him basically at flanker in the NFL, like ex-flanker, and not let him play a big slot. Um, and I don't understand how you could watch film on Hakeem Butler and not want to play him in the big slot. But, uh, you know, they're smarter and, and I guess, you know, not as wise people <laughs> that, that do this and come away with that. So it's, 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 I'm real curious to see where Hakeem Butler goes and how he's used um, because he fits that role. He showed it. I mean, he's not one of these guys like a DK Metcalf that had, you know, just crummy agility. And he, he kind of checked all the objective boxes and, and he can move around and showed he could do it. Um, so, I mean, I'm real curious to see, like, what happens to a guy like him in the NFL if he just get pigeonholed as a guy that's just a line-up outside. Well, I don't think you can watch – I don't think you can watch his film and then say, okay, the, the most optimal way to use this guy is to throw him outside. Because I don't even know if he would really win that way. Like, I think if you wanted to draft that guy, you'd take my favorite guy, Arcega Whiteside. Arcega Whiteside is Mike Evans. That's, like – there, there you go. There's the outlier player comp. There's the subjective player <laughs> comp going uh, the highest possible best outcome. I mean, obviously, he could end up being Martavis Bryant or whatever, you know, and just being a total nothing. But Arcega Whiteside from like, uh, you know, you talked about Hayden Winks' stuff on Roto World. He, he's the number one analytics wide receiver from the stuff Hayden did. Yeah, I mean, I like, I like him too. I, I'm kind of getting scared now. Like, I, I've had him in my top five, like, the whole way. And now it's like the, the, the big draft people are plugged in or kind of building their stuff. And he's not even like, he's not even listed like in anyone's stuff. It's like, so is this where the league values this guy? Is he going to be one of these guys that we all like have locked in as like a, a round two plus guy that ends up going in round four and five now. Um, and then we just like kind of like hang our heads in sadness and do the Eeyore, you know, kind of moment. Uh, because objectively, I mean, it's all there. And, you know, he was a guy that didn't brick his pro day. Uh, and you can even knock him for a pro day time. And he still checked out. He's way still back. good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he had 25% of his team's receiving output in 92% of the games last year. Only Andy Isabella had more. He led all wide receivers in contested catches over the past few years through PFF. Uh, and he was in the top three in each, each season in that category. He just didn't have one season that anchored that. Um, and then, he had 35 deep targets over the past two, se- two seasons. Um, and out of all the players that had uh, that, that amount of deep targets or more through PFF, he was sixth in fantasy points created on those types of targets. Um, so, I mean, yeah, he's one of those guys. I think that, you know, you win can, can the contested catch game. Uh, I think he's a little more – he's got – he gets kind of knocked for being more Mike Evans. I think he has more small game to him than Mike Evans. Um, but that's more of a subjective take. Um, so, I mean, uh, it just depends on if he gets with a quarterback, you know, or an assistant that's willing to throw those types of balls, or if that turns teams off, you know, from, like I said, pushes that draft capital down. He should be a round two-plus guy. I mean, everything about him, like, old, like I actually think five years ago he would have been a first-round pick. He's so good. He Like, he, he goes – like, if you want to talk about guys who uh, go up and get it, or like, there's no one better than him. His, like – and – 14% of his targets, his final season went for touchdowns. That's crazy. 
And he was he accounted for twenty nine percent of the total Stanford touchdowns. Not the not the passing offense, their total <laughs> touchdowns. Like he was he was absolutely dominant in a power five conference at wide receiver. And like Stanford doesn't churn out wide receivers like that. That offense is always about ground and pound and and like some of some of what happened to Bryce Love is they just started turning those touchdowns to Arcega Whiteside instead of him. Yeah, Bryce Love, I'm in uh, no man's land too. Just he's so small too. You know, everyone wants to talk about 2017. I know we moved on to wide receivers, but No, we can we uh, can talk Bryce Love cuz he like it doesn't make any sense to me what happened to him. Yeah, I mean, what happened to him doesn't make any sense, but then I also look at his profile too and see just him being a 200-pound guy and you know just is is he ever going to be one of those guys? Like it's, again, it's, it's it, he falls into the chasing Devontae Freeman type of guy for me again. Yeah, I mean that's just like the exact sort of prospect that I am off of. Like a guy whose production tailed off at the end, a guy who didn't test well athletically, and a guy whose best uh, the best thing you can say about him like all relates to film, and none of it relates to like production or analytics. Like that's a guy I'm I'm just like probably never taking that guy in drafts. Yeah, fun fan college fantasy player, but it's okay to, to let go of this. <laughs> yeah, I, so I actually wanted to talk a little bit about Inkeel Harry because he is like a really good prospect, but I wouldn't say he's a great prospect. Like, I don't think that he is, uh, you know, Julio Jones. He's not Odell yeah. Beckham. He's not. And I think that like him being drafted 1.01 in some of these rookie drafts might be giving people the impression that he is, but like, it would not be surprising for me to see him have like a very Devonte Parker esque career where he's like shows signs as a rookie and maybe his coach doesn't really like him. And he ends up being the third wide receiver on his team. Like there are some like real downsides I can see with him for sure. I think if there's a guy that's Devontae Parker, it's, it's Metcalf. Like, you know, oh, yeah, never, yeah. never had a thousand yards in college, just like Devontae Parker, never had like the real breakout, but was hurt, you know, comes into the league, you know, having a season ending injury. Uh, I could see that him being more Devontae Parker than I could a guy like Nikhil Harry, just as like we talked about the versatility and, and how it, you know, plays in today's game. I just think objectively, too, he, this is a guy that was a top 10 wide receiver prospect out of high school who produced at age 18 age 19 and age 20 uh now objectively on my end he he doesn't score as high as like dj moore did last year like dj moore would have been my number one this year in this class so he doesn't score as even as high as him so you're not going to move him into like the julio jones like one of those types of guys he's not that type of guy either because i don't think he's going to be a traditional x receiver in the nfl uh, the way he moved around in college, uh, you know, in terms of versatility, the last year is when he really moved around a lot when they kind of switched offensive systems. When they had brought in Herm Edwards, they moved the wide receiver coach the year before into kind of the, the offensive coordinator, and they kind of moved Harry into the slot last year where 31% of his targets came from the slot. Um, but you look at just athletic profile uh, was, was a lot better, I think, than people expected. Even the people that do – that have knocked him on film were probably pretty surprised uh how how big and how athletic he, he tested out right and then you look at in terms of just you know splash play production too as well he created the same amount of 20 plus yard gains on a per, per catch rate as a guy like marquise brown did uh and in terms of 15 yard uh, gains he has the most in this class 61 over the past two years so i mean he's he's just objectively just i don't think it's, he's just one, one of those things like don't overthink it he, he feels like a safe single with upside to have an extra base hit. And when you look at the teams that have brought him in for visits already too, 
New England, New Orleans, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Seattle, and Buffalo, which we don't want them to go to Buffalo. But, I mean, that's a lot of the veritable who's who of teams in the NFL have brought him in, uh, you know, excluding Buffalo and San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, um, if he ends up going to a spot like that where he can use his versatility in an offense like that, I mean, I think that he, he just objectively has a safe floor. I think that's why you're seeing him more of the default 101, um, just because of the type of class we have. And this isn't. It's like, going to be uh, Josh Jacobs after the draft, though, which I guess will push him down to 102 or whatever. Like even PPR, it will be. Yeah, Josh Jacobs goes first round to a team that doesn't have strict competition for him. He's a lock 101. No, yeah, no, I mean, no doubt. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think it's just why you're seeing it though, because this class, like, although you know a lot of people like this wide receiver class, and I like a lot of the pros of this wide receiver class. I mean. From a precocious standpoint, there aren't a lot of guys that really hit that like ceiling mark. Like so, objectively, Harry has the highest draft grade, in on my end in my model. Um, but like I said, it wasn't even as high as a guy like DJ Moore last year. It would have been higher than guys like Cortland Sutton and Anthony Miller, but not as high as a guy like DJ Moore, who definitely was a, another step further away from being a, you know, Julio Jones, Des Bryant type of prospect. Um, but I think that you know when it comes to Harry too, I think it's just you know we get four months of this minutia where people want to watch. Uh, and tear down some of these guys. And it doesn't happen just to Harry. It happens to every prospect where people are kind of just like highlighting these, the bad reps and scrutinizing bad reps. But I don't think that there's any position, maybe outside of running back, that produces more bad reps than wide receiver. Like there's no shortage of bad reps produced on film. Even in the NFL, you look at the average NFL game, wide receivers are running 35 to 40 routes per game. They're only getting targeted on 30% or fewer of those on 30% on the high end. And they're only catching 65% of those targets. I mean, you look at someone who's watched more routes than any human in existence, probably at this point in Matt Harmon. And you look at his success rates of players. I mean, even like the current God at the position, Odell Beckham, like he isn't winning on over a hundred routes in a season. You have over a hundred negative samples to kind of build on. I think that's what people get when you look at your, they're taking five or six of these games and they're, just highlighting all these things. I mean, we, you can highlight negativity to kind of produce like a range of outcomes for a player, but if you're just building a, a negative case on a player to tear down a player, I think that you're doing it wrong. You should be focused on where players win and, um, and where they win in college because it's where they're going to win in the NFL and produce fantasy points. Um, so, I mean, you kind of have to rely on rational coaching to a sense like that. But uh, that's why I talk about guys like getting Hakeem Butler in like a bigger slot role. You know, you have a guy like Nikhil Harry that can move around. A.J. Brown is another guy in that same ilk you know it's running 60 percent of his college drops in the stop but can play outside as well and has the athletic profile and size profile to move around so I mean I'm looking at those types of players and seeing where they win and seeing like where the advantages are being created in today's NFL like we talked about uh you know this where the smaller corners are lining up and where advantages are, are getting gained in offense and I think that those guys have a place uh you know in today's game and it makes them more attractive and I think they would have been as prospects to me you know five or six years ago well, yeah, there's a big difference between how you project a guy who can play in the slot, who can play left, who can play right, versus a guy like Metcalf. Who I think I think Metcalf will just play outside his mm-hmm. whole career. I, I don't know if he'll ever be the you know the the go go gadget wide receiver. I don't know if I project that in his range of outcomes. Yeah, so I mean, you take a guy that has you know scout separation issues like Nikhil Harry, and we talked about he only had. 11 targets from the slot in 2017 and last year only bumped up to 32%. If he's going to be a 50 to 60% slot guy in the NFL, his separation should become a lot less of a problem. 
you know, the, the subjective separation issues, which we can, we can actually question whether they even existed because of how he performed on deep routes, you know, on, on post goes corners and fades, he averaged 16.6 yards per target. I mean, he was still pretty good. Uh, but if you're going to, if say like he really has separation issues, but if he's going to play in the slot more than he did in the, uh, at the collegiate level where he was progressing towards, you know, growing as a role anyways, his separation should become less of a problem because you're getting natural separation anyways, uh, just by the position he's going to play. Right. Um, all right. We got to talk. We got to talk. I mean, this is the best stuff. The super sleepers at the wide receiver position. Nothing is more fun than hitting on a small school wide receiver. The Rotoviz guys. The Rotoviz guys. Who is, who's your guy this year? There are two guys. Uh, I still am, I'm still sticking a pin in Emmanuel Butler. Uh, he hasn't run. He hasn't run yet. But he's like a prototypical, like, Rotoviz guy. You know, so when Douche created the late Douche, poor one out for him. You know, someone swatted. R.I.P. R.I.P., buddy. Someone's squatting on his Twitter account, at least. But uh, you know, when he first, you know, developed market share, it was to account for all these things that, you know, scouts try to account for. Bad quarterback play, guys in bad offenses, you know, stuff like that. It was, t- was all-encompassing that. And Emmanuel Butler was in probably one of the worst passing games of the nation. His, his passing game uh, in Northern Arizona, they threw just 15 touchdowns. <laughs> he caught seven of them. Uh, he caught seven of them. He played with four different quarterbacks that threw 30 or more passes last year. So they were just rotating bad dudes out. Uh, but he was still productive. They only faced two um, D1 schools in his career, and he had five for 87 against Arizona in 2017. And then last year, UTEP, he probably could barely qualify as a D1 school. He had six for 138 and two. Uh, with all those bad quarterbacks, but he didn't run. I would have liked more of an athletic profile, but I'm just kind of sticking a pin in him. And then you brought up uh, on the show sheet, Ashton Doolin is even from a, a smaller school. You know, he's from, uh, he's playing against, you look at his game log and he's playing against Concordia in Hillsdale. And, uh, you know, it's it's pretty crazy to, to like think about that. But he, His college program doesn't exist anymore. Malone University football program ends with Ashton Doolin. He was so good, he broke it. I mean, he, was, he was such a good prospect, they just shut it down. We're never going to have a guy going to the NFL. He was invited to the Combine, which is a big deal, and then he actually was he was objectively good at the Combine. Well, I, I, I did some research on him and found out that, like, a bunch of NFL teams had been to Malone University practices to, like, watch him. Really? Yeah. Some, some Not, teams yeah. – sometimes, according to the Malone University people, some teams even came twice to watch him practice. Yeah, and he, you look at him, I mean, he ran a 4-4-3 four, four, at 2-15. Uh, the explosion scores are good. I mean, so it's just one of those, like, you just got to wait and see where the draft capital gets invested. So I'm into him. And uh, I have to, I mean, Autobot Jazz, uh, the, the cheap DK Metcalf is, uh, is who Jazz Ferguson is. If you like DK Metcalf, man, uh, you might be able to get him in round six. Uh, that's who Jazz Ferguson is. So when you look at these small school guys, like we talked about Butler and Doolin and Jazz Ferguson, like, if you're going to watch them, you just want them to wreck the dudes. You want them to look like men amongst boys, and all three of those guys did. Like, they were just destroying dudes uh, on film. Then they all kind of checked the objective boxes we wanted to check, too. I mean, uh, in terms of speed score, I believe Jazz Ferguson was first. Yes, he was. Yeah, Best, he was best speed score of the class. After Metcalf, after Metcalf was first, I'm sorry. And then it was, uh, then it was uh, Autobot Jazz. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, he's another guy. but He had the crummy agility, just like DK Metcalf. Probably only going to do a couple things well in the NFL. Uh, but, you know, 6'5", 227 pounds, 4'5", four, four, speed. Like, he uh, would have been one of those uh, Rotoviz types of guys uh, that we would have been into. 
Do you have thoughts on Miles Boykin? I kind of include him with those people because he was not very productive at Notre Dame. He was, like, fine. I think he was, like, right about 25th percentile market share. Yeah, he was a guy that kind of got better as it got on but just didn't have an elite season, you know, didn't go over, uh, you know, 1,000 yards at all in college. Uh, those types of guys typically don't pan out. I mean, but obviously, you know, the athletic profile got a lot more people to watch him afterwards. I think a lot of people – he wasn't on the radar until the combine probably. Um, and then I hadn't watched him. I didn't have him on my list of guys, like any of my pre-draft stuff. I didn't even know – like I didn't know he's about him at all. Too. You know, he's, he'll be, he'll be uh, 23 and a half as a rookie. Uh, just one of those guys we can see where the draft capital gets invested in. But the athletic profile was there. And the scout guys seemed to all love him. Like the scout, the scout community seems to really like him. You know, Waldman is on him. Josh Norris is on him. Um, but I haven't really seen any tangible buzz where NFL teams are on him. So, I mean, if he's a guy that's just they, they view as like a round four guy, I think that probably hurts him. Like you're hoping he just basically becomes Martavis Bryant. Um, but if a team views him as like a second round plus guy, then that says a lot, a lot more. Um, and probably. Which seems weird because I watched him. He doesn't really look that great to me. Like when I like yeah. not not that I'm like not that I'm you know I'm not some scout or whatever but I I like to watch just because I like to know and he kind of just looks bulky and plodding to me he doesn't look like a 99th percentile athlete to me which is weird because a lot of times these guys really jump off the tape yeah he definitely doesn't do that at all and sometimes when these guys don't have the big raw production like you said you get like those big market shares um, kind of to show up and he doesn't even have that going for him. So it's, it's going to be one of those prospects where I think that um, – well, he went, he went really low in our draft because I was to the point was like trying to get back into the, up to the draft to take him. And he went 209 in our recent rookie draft that we did, which is super flex, but it only pushed him down a couple spots than he would have went. So you're talking about a mid-second rounder in rookie capital. Like it's, it's not like you have to take this guy at the bottom of the first round. So, I mean, I can kind of like hang on. But I think it's just where a team you know, shows that they invested in him because I haven't seen any of like – the people that are plugged in kind of have him high. No, they're they're wasting all that time on Terry McLaurin. And uh and, and Riley. Riley Ridley. Yeah, I wrote an article the other day called Riley Ridley's not a draftable prospect. Stand he's by not. it. No, he's not. He's not at all. Neither is McLaurin, yeah. really. McLaurin is worse than Calvin Harmon, his bad teammate who's also gonna be overdrafted. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, McLaurin at least ran fast, you could say. And he's like a – and I can get why the other people like him because he's like a really dope special teams player, but that's not like a good reason to draft a guy in fantasy. Like, Yeah. Like, there's no – like, or even to boost his real draft capital. Like, you're not drafting a punt gunner for the sake of having a punt gunner. Like, like I said, you're not drafting Matthew Slater, like the fast Matthew Slater. Right. Which, which side <laughs> of uh, Paris Campbell do you fall on, pro or anti-Paris Campbell, the NFL player? Um, I think that it, I would have been de- more down on him in, in like years past. Right. Uh, right. Same. But I'm, I'm more interested in him now, uh, than I would be. I even had luck with this type of player, you know, the Curtis Samuel. What's funny is all these guys are just the, in the role he's playing. All the guys you want to comp him to like Curtis Samuel and Percy Harvin were also just playing that urban Meyer role, uh, you know, kind of stuck on him. But I mean, I'm not one of those guys that knows enough or can watch film and say like, subjectively like that dude's not gonna be able to run routes in the nfl like oh i don't know and what does not being able to run routes in the nfl even mean like what does it even mean because i you know i brought up the riley ridley thing too on twitter and people brought up route running and i was like andrew hawkins was a was a dope route runner never matter yeah. 
like what what does it matter if he's not a good like what are you that, that's probably my my biggest peeve with like uh you know the scouting community is they say things that that actually inherently like an average fan would stock like oh he's a bad route runner but like what are you really saying and what does it mean translate it to production translate it to you know future production and where if guy can be used um and where it will start yeah i don't really care if paris campbell can't run like a perfect hitch and go like that dude can just yeah. get open versus anybody he's so right. fast <laughs> right so i mean if you're if you're if you're bringing up that's what it ties into my thing about scouts and like bringing up only negatives of a player well you better be bringing up to how that hurts his positives and like if you're not hurting paris campbell's positives with your negatives and who cares? Because what he did positively should be why teams want him in the first place. Uh, so, I mean, it's kind of the ass-backwards way of the whole approach to this. And, like, the Riley-Ridley thing going to be real. Uh, I'm just going to rip my face off because it's just teams still do this. And they invest all – like, why even invest all this money and hours into stuff like this if that's what you're going to come away with? Like, yeah, if you're, if you're going to come back with Riley-Ridley, <laughs> you should get fired for that. I, I, I really believe that. Like, having Riley-Ridley as a top-10 wide receiver in this class is not excusable. Yeah, it's just not, man. The I think, I think for- it's literally just because he's Calvin Ridley's brother. I really do believe that. The other guy I don't understand is the guy you brought up is, is Calvin Harmon, and he has at least some, like, age-weighted production that's interesting, but, like... I think he, he was, was a, a super high-pedigree recruit before he went to North Carolina State. But, and he was a hot Debbie guy, too, so maybe it's just people don't want to let go um, because, like, he was just subpar across the board and, and just about every objective stance... Uh, and almost in production and, and athletic profile. So, I mean, he's just a guy that I can't believe it just hasn't moved down yet. He'd think he'd be fine as like a, you know, round four plus guy, but, you know, people have him hang on just like a round two guy and a round three, three guy, which I don't really see either. Um, where are you on Isabella? He's like the dude that like is hard to grasp as well. No, he's not hard for me to grasp. That dude, that dude's going to, that dude's going to be so good. Okay, so you're in, like, the super pro stance. I, he's the toughest guy for me, like, because he pops an objective stance, but then, like, he falls in that bucket of player, like, sub-190 pounds, like, tiny arms. Yeah, but he's, like, think about this. Like, he is bigger than Hollywood Brown, who's going to go oh, yeah, 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 high. Yeah. And yeah. he's fast. We know he's fast. He ran a fast time. He ran fast time. And <laughs> he was good in that game against Georgia. He had 15 receptions oh, yeah. and 180 yards and two touchdowns against, like, future NFL defensive backs. Like that, yeah. he can play. I have no doubts that Isabella. He can play. all the Power Five schools he played. Yeah, because he's Andy Isabella, and he's really good. Like he, I, I have, like he is just a straight up good prospect. There, like a guy I probably would not have been into during the original road of his years because he's so small. But like that, that dude's like better than Taylor Gabriel, and Taylor Gabriel's oh, yeah. like, and Taylor Gabriel's like a super functionally important player in one of the league's best offenses. Yeah, so I mean, you're a second person in a row that was on that. So I mean, I'm I'm stocking more of the pros with Isabella, and, uh, you know, as, as I moved on through everything. Like, like, why can't Andy Isabella be as good as Brandon Cooks? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't see why not. And if he's using the same capacity, I just hope, like you said, uh, the rational coaching of yeah, he might just be used on a bunch of like six yard slants though. Like he might get he might get used. Well, actually, the player comp I would do that doesn't – it's not, like, 90th percentile would be Albert Wilson. He seems really similar to Albert Wilson to me. Like, small school guy, super fast, probably won't start right away, but mm-hmm. will probably get a big second contract. 
I like that. Yeah, I like that. That's a good, uh, one of the better objective ones I've heard. Cause you know, you just get the, he, cause he falls in such a weird bucket of objective comps because he's so small, so fast and so productive. You don't get a lot of overlap, kind of like Hakeem Butler uh, in his, in his bucket. So, I mean, you don't get a lot. Yeah. Of- there are like five total guys in NCAA history and Isabella's <laughs> yep. bucket. So it's just like, yep. the, and they're all, they're all like 90th percentile outcomes. So you can't, you can't find like a just okay outcome for him because for someone Isabella's size to even be drafted, you have to be an extreme outlier anyway, yep. Yep. like, which is a crazy thing. All right. We gotta, we gotta do tight ends now, which is like uh, an impossible topic. There, there, there's no such thing as a tight end prospect really. Like it's just who knows who's end who's gonna end up being good out of these guys. Who do you have? Uh, who do you like more, Font or Hawkinson? So from a real football stance, I like Hawkinson. Kind of worried about what it means for you know fantasy wise. Um, but if he's but if he's just as productive, I'm still gonna have him as my one tight end uh, over Fant just because he outproduced Fant. You know he played in the same offense and was better than him. You know he had 24.4 percent of the Iowa passing yards on just 15.7 percent of the targets. Uh, you know, and then, you know, you look at some of the, the shortcomings for Fant compared to, you know, um, his production kind of not matching his, his athleticism. I mean, he was a guy, he only made through pro football focus, had him with only four contested catches over the past few years. No Fant, only three broken tackles. Um, and then he also, the pro though, is that this dude was not asked to block, but he's coming in as a receiver. He blocked just 41 snaps over the past years. Maybe that was a product because he played with Hawkinson. He didn't have to block and he'll block more in the NFL. Um, but the, he was, you know, a pure receiver, which could line him up for more initial fantasy points than a guy like Hawkinson, who is a really good blocker. Because, uh, like, so if a team like the Jaguars takes Hawkinson, like, that dude's just going to block for Fournette and catch touchdowns. That dude, like, that dude is going to become James O'Shaughnessy. He's going to be uh, – who was the dude from the Lions that caught all those touchdowns? And was like, was uh, Mike, Michael, Michael – oh, Justin Fourier. I was going to say Michael <laughs> Roberts was that guy last year, yeah, but yeah. Joseph Fioria. <laughs> yeah, remember Joseph Fioria had, like, 10 touchdowns, like, that one year? Yeah, so, and 19 catches. Um, yeah, I mean, because if Hawkinson goes to the Jags, like, he's going to be doing a lot of blocking. And when you look at the top 12 tight ends in points per game last year, uh, they ran a pass route on 60.5% uh, uh, of their snaps on average. The top guys were kind of more, at least you can say, were more close to that 50-50. Kelsey was at 57.4%. Ertz, 57%. Kittle is at 52.4%. That's kind of like where you want Hawkinson to be is kind of in that Kittle range. Um, you know, the only top 12 guy in points per game that was under 50% route rate was Gronk. He ran a route in only 46.9% of his routes and, uh, you know, was kind of cattywampus for fantasy production last year. But if he turns into a Gronk-like prospect, uh, it's harder to predict. You know, even though I know people want to put him there already. But like you said, nailing these tight end prospects uh, based on how we felt. We felt this way about a lot of these tight end prospects over the past I felt this way about a minimum of 20 tight end prospects. (laughs) I've been like, this guy is the dude. And when it hits, when you get Travis Kelsey in the second round of your dynasty, like of the rookie drafts, it feels great. But how many, like, how many tight ends can, like, you, you hold on to these guys forever, you know? Yeah, I, I, I have, I will say, I have fought one for fantasy purposes because pretty certain he's going to catch 50 passes next year. Pretty certain whatever team drafts him, they're just going to, they're like, I don't even know if he'll play tight end. I think he might just straight yeah. up be like a slot, like right away. He'll be like a move tight end. Yeah, kind of like a Kellen Winslow. 
I mean, he is 99th percentile spark, 99th percentile. I mean, that dude, like people were ready for Hawkinson to be that athletic and Font is way faster, way stronger. And he's built more like a wide receiver. Like he's a little bit taller and a little bit skinnier, whereas Hawkinson is more like a classical tight end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, those guys are easy. One, one, two, I think. Uh, And then down the board, it gets a lot more sketchy. Irv Smith was another one of those guys that kind of that Miles Sanders group. Irv Irv Smith is a fullback, bro. But he was like buried behind OJ Howard though. So it's like hard to judge like any type of breakout or like production wise. So he's not. He actually set the Alabama record though for most uh, tight end touchdowns in a season. Yeah, we think so. If we would have got like a full allotment of him at a younger age, he's his production profile can be a lot better. Is all I mean by that. Like right buried behind a true NFL first rounder. Um, who else? Who else we got on this list? Jay Sternberger uh, is going to be a NFL yeah, starting tight end. He so he went to KU, and that's then, why you uh, like him. Well, no, he dropped out. He dropped out, bro. He was like, you guys don't use the tight end. I'm leaving. He went to community college for a year to, uh, to avoid the transfer rule, smashed at community college, and then was Texas A&M's leading wide receiver, like leading pass catcher uh, receptions, yards, and touchdowns last year. You know how hard that is for a tight end to do in college? That, that, like, that never happens where the tight end – like I don't think since Jay Samaro, a tight end has led his team in all those categories. Yeah, we're not talking just volume either. This is a dude that averaged 17.3 yards per catch with 10 touchdowns. Four of those touchdowns came on throws 20 yards or further downfield. He was fifth in the nation uh, in target rate for tight ends at 18.3%. He had the highest dominator rating of all, of all college uh, tight ends last year, um, you know, even people uh, underclassmen. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, wh- why not? I like, like this guy. Like, why, why not? I mean, like, he's, like, if he gets drafted in the third round, I'm ready to call him a second-round dynasty pick. As, like, a second-round rookie pick. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, he, I actually might say that he's better than Herb Smith Jr. Because Herb Smith is, like, a very weird size for an NFL tight He's 6'2", 240. That's, like, not really a tight end size. Yeah, that's, like H-back, H-backy type of size. Yeah, that's like Heath Miller size, and Heath Miller was a tight end, you know, 15 years ago. You know, like I, I don't. Do you have thoughts on? Do you have like who's who's the sleeper, bro? Who's like the? I don't know. I don't. Even, who's the who's the Ian Thomas in this class? Do you even have one? <laughs> uh yeah, I think Sternbrenner would just be the next guy I'd have. Um, I kind of I can't really do the Caleb Wilson thing because I did the Thomas Duarte thing. And that was like right. terrible. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, uh, other than these guys, I mean, uh, Dawson Knox seems to get a big. He's so a Dawson big, Knox uh, is weird because he yeah. did not score a college touchdown, but his like, yeah. he, he ran well, his combine was all good. So, <laughs> but I don't know what to do with that. What do you do with a guy no. who literally didn't catch a touchdown? No clue, man. I have no, no clue what to do with him at all. <laughs> Zero. Zero TDs. Let me see if I got the, the pull up my tight end model and see just if there's any other comparable guy that had zero career. I'm sure there's not. I'm sure there is not other tight ends who were drafted in the NFL who didn't score. Like, even like Jimmy Graham at Miami, when he was on the basketball team at the same time, he still caught touchdowns. Well, final year. Is this true? That Brandon Pettigrew scored zero touchdowns his final year? I mean, if that is true, it'll be crazy because Brandon Pettigrew was a first-round draft pick. 
Yeah, um, I show it here in the spreadsheet. Let me just confirm it. Uh, yes, that is fact. As a senior year at Oklahoma State, he caught zero touchdowns. Brandon Pettigrew. <laughs> Brandon Pettigrew had nine college touchdowns, 111 total receptions. Pick and 20 was, overall. Pick 20 overall. He, he must have just been the best blocker you've ever seen. He ran a 4-8-40, which is objectively bad. His explosion scores were terrible. If people ever tell you that the NFL draft is that, that these people know what they're doing, like, just show them this pick. Show them the Brandon Pettigrew pick. <laughs> yeah, so Brandon Pettigrew. So we're just going to lump him in that bucket and just be off Dawson Knox. So. Yeah, he's in the Pettigrew bucket. All right, Rich, we're going we're gonna to close up with the Brandon Pettigrew bucket. Tell people where they can find you. I'm still just, still just doing stuff at Roto World. Uh, you know, obviously ramping up here as the draft season winds down and we transition, you know, Roto World really beefed up their, their draft game this, you know, past couple of years because their college, you know, analysts, you know, having a guy like Thornstrom who won, you know, uh, the college writer of the year, Mark Lindquist, having Hayden Winks. We never had those guys on board on the staff, so I didn't have to do really any lifting. Guys like me and Evan didn't do like any college lifting this year. But after the draft, you know, I'll be a lot more involved, you know, as we transition to where to take these guys. Uh, in dynasty leagues and you know in best ball leagues we start getting ramped up and drafting over the summer that type of content so i haven't really been that active on social media and really been around the podcast game um over this little period but uh it'll only be moving downhill and you'll see more of me you know as we move on 